Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2. This morning we'll look at Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 to 8. And I want to talk with you about the subject this morning, connected with Christ. Connected with Christ. This is the second week in our series entitled 40 Days of Life-Changing Prayer. Unite 40 Days of Life-Changing Prayer. Last Sunday, God did a great work in our church and hopefully in your life. And let me me remind you that the goal for this series is to get you to pray. To get you to pray individually. To get you to pray together as a family. And to get you as a church to get us to come together and to pray. We can talk a lot about praying. We can learn a lot about praying. We can read a lot about praying. We can preach about praying. But if we don't pray, then we've missed it all. Amen? So I want to encourage you not just to learn, but also to practice the habit of prayer. By now, I hope that most of you have your books We thought we'd have some available today. I apologize for that, but we'll make sure early in the week at church we'll have some available, and we'll have some available for you next week. You can get them on the web right at our homepage, sbcwr.org, and you can click to download the PDF of the devotion book that we're walking through each and every day. We want this to be more than just a sermon series. We want you to have a devotion book written by our pastors and staff. We want you to have the Sunday school lessons written by Pastor Matthew Gibbs and taught, of course, by by your Sunday school teachers, and then this sermon series as well. We want this to be more than just information. We want it to transform your life and to grow you as a person of prayer. Now, before we dive into Colossians chapter 2 this morning, I want to give you several general principles on prayer, much like I did last week. Number one, prayer is simply talking with God. Prayer is simply talking with God. Now, notice I said prayer is talking with God, not talking to God. Prayer is having a conversation. And in a conversation, you don't take up all the space. You take time and let the other person talk to you. So let me encourage you in your prayer life, make sure that you speak and and make your request known to the Lord, but also take time to let God speak to you. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. We seem to complicate it very often, and especially when we think we need to use our special sacred King James language, if you know what I'm talking about. We pray in these and thous and arts and thines and all sorts of things, and we get around all this kind of crazy vocabulary, and we complicate prayer in such a way that it's not meant to be. Prayer is simply having a conversation with God. Do you realize that the child of God, you've been adopted into his family? He's your father, you are his child. You can come to him as you would a family member, a close friend, and you can communicate with him. Prayer is simply talking with God. Number two, prayer is a discipline that must be developed over time. Prayer is a discipline that must be developed over time. You don't just start to pray one day and automatically become a prayer warrior. Just like you don't hop off the couch one day and Transform from a couch potato into a marathon runner doesn't happen overnight. You don't just all of a sudden pray and become a prayer warrior. In fact, as you begin to pray, as you begin to develop your prayer muscles, you'll find that you'll spend five minutes in prayer and you'll look at the clock and you'll think it was 30 minutes when it's only been five. 
But as you continue to grow as a prayer warrior, as you continue to grow in your relationship with God, you'll discover the more you pray, the more you can pray. The more you spend time in prayer, the more time you can spend in prayer. Prayer is a discipline that must be developed over time. Don't take this as an excuse not to pray. Take it as a challenge to grow in depth and in strength in your prayer life each and every morning, each and every evening, each and every day. You know what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8? Look at the screen and direct your attention to what the Apostle Paul teaches us about bodily exercise and spiritual exercise. He says, bodily exercise profits a little. Somebody say amen. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise. Now notice this, not just for the life that is now, but also for the life that is to come. Just like we exercise and we strengthen our bodies, just like we exercise physically, we must exercise spiritually. It's a discipline that must be developed over time. Number three. Prayer is designed to align your will with God's desires, not God's will with your desires. Let me say that again because somebody needs to hear that. Prayer is designed to align your will with God's desires, not God's will with your desires. We have a tendency sometimes to think that when we pray, God is obligated to give us what we want. We think of God as a cosmic Santa Claus in the sky that when we come to him and ask, he's going to give us exactly what we want just because we gave him the privilege of us praying. Let me tell you something, it doesn't work that way. Prayer is not designed to get God to align with what you want. It's designed to get you to align with what God wants. When the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord and spend time with him, the desires of your heart become the will of God for your life. Imagine that you're in a boat and you're in the middle of a pond. You don't have any oars, so you can't row yourself to the edge. And finally, you take that boat hook and you throw it all the way to the anchor and you begin to pull. When you begin to pull on that rope, are you pulling yourself to the shore or are you pulling the shore to you? Well, obviously, you're pulling yourself to the shore. The shore doesn't move, but as you begin to pull, you get closer. Imagine the will of God and his desire for your life, and imagine yourself praying. As you begin to pray, God begins to pull you closer and closer to his will and to his desires. I'm telling you, I've never met a prayer warrior who's disappointed in the will of God. I've never met somebody who's a prayer warrior who's been disappointed with the will of God. When I spend time in the word, When I spend time on my face in prayer before God, he begins to form my heart for what he desires me to have and he desires me to be. Number four, prayer changes things. I told you last week someone said that there are certain things that God will not do apart from prayer. There are some things that God does whether we pray or not, but there are other things that he will not do unless His people pray. And I stand before you as a pastor, a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, firmly convinced and absolutely believing that prayer changes things. 
Now, don't ask me how the sovereignty of God and the prayers of man come together. I'm telling you something. I believe that God is so sovereign that he has chosen to allow the prayers of man to affect his decisions at certain times. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But if you read the word of God, you will come to understand that Elijah was a man just like you and just like me. But when he began to pray, God began to do mighty and incredible things. You'll see the people of Nineveh repent before God. And the Bible says that God relented of the evil that he had planned against them. I'm telling you, prayer changes things. And I'm telling you, prayer changes me. And prayer changes you. And prayer changes a church. Through prayer, God can meet your needs financially. Through prayer, God can save a lost loved one. Through prayer, God can put a marriage back together. Through prayer, God can restore a family. Through prayer, God can bring a prodigal home. Through prayer, God can free an addict. Through prayer, God brings revival to his church. Through prayer, God leads you as you walk with him. Through prayer, God speaks and works and moves in mighty, miraculous, and incredible ways. Prayer changes things. Most of all, prayer changes you. You begin to grow, you begin to develop, you begin to become the child of God that he intends you to be. And today in our series on prayer, we come to Colossians chapter 2. And we focus on what I believe might be the most important aspect of prayer. The foundation of your prayer life begins with your relationship with Jesus Christ. The foundation of your prayer life begins with who you are in relation to Jesus And today we're talking about what it means to be connected with Christ. Connected with Christ in a relationship with him. You see, you must know Christ in order to have a prayer life. If you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with God, when you pray, your prayers are just hitting the ceiling. If you have a relationship with Christ, that's where your prayer life begins. This is so very basic today. So very fundamental, but so incredibly foundational for your Christian walk and your life. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Begin reading with me in verse 6. We'll read to verse 8 as we think about what it means to be connected with Christ. Paul writes, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Remember, church, the power is in the Word of God. We'll have to save verse 9 for another sermon one day. What a spectacular truth. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 to 8 as we think about what it means to be connected with Christ. First of all, if you're going to be connected with Christ, number one, you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
You have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look at what it says there at the beginning of verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus. Notice that phrase. It's not there by accident, by chance, or by circumstance. It's there by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. As you have received Jesus Christ. So being connected with Christ and establishing that prayer life comes first by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If there's, if there's a, no relationship with God in your life, If you don't know Christ, then there's no way that you can grow in your prayer life. You can pray, but God won't answer your prayers. The first prayer that God hears is the prayer of salvation and repentance on behalf of an unbeliever, trusting God and Christ Jesus for salvation. That's the first prayer that God hears. And so why should we accept Christ? Paul says here, as you have received Christ as Lord. Why should we accept Christ? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody in this place today who's not described right there in that verse. Everyone has sinned. We are separated from God as a result of sin. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that what we deserve as a result of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages, that is what you have earned as a result of your sinfulness. You and I deserve death. But the Bible goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible tells us that God loved us so much even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth The Bible says, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. Listen carefully. Why should you accept Jesus Christ? You should accept Jesus Christ because without him, you are doomed to spend eternity in hell separated from God. This is no fairy tale. This is no legend, and this is no myth. This is the truth of the word of God. All of us are born in sin, separated from God. So how should I accept Christ? Well, it's not by being good. It's not by measuring your morality. It's not by regulating your righteousness. It's not by living a certain way or ascribing to a certain path. It's not by memorizing the Ten Commandments or coming to church on Sunday morning. It's not by being a part of a Sunday school class. It's not by being baptized. It's not by learning Scripture. The only way that you can accept Christ as Lord and Savior is by repenting of your sins, coming to Him in faith, trusting His finished work upon the cross. That's it. That's it. But God has made a way. You see, when you're connected with Christ, first of all, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number two, you seek to act in a way that honors God. You seek to act in a way that honors God. Once you know Christ, you will have a genuine desire to follow him. Once you know Jesus, you will want to follow him. Look at what the Bible says. As you have received Christ, look at the next phrase, the latter part of verse 6. Therefore, so walk in him. 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to act in a way that brings glory and honor to God. We ought to walk in him. The word walk there in Colossians gives the idea, not just of the course or the path that we take each and every day. It gives us the idea of conversation, of lifestyle, of actions and of deeds. So it's not just talking about the things we say or the places we go or the people we meet. It's talking about all of that together. All of that comes together and determines how we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ as we have received him. Therefore, we should walk in him. I want you to notice something very important. The Bible says here that we should walk in Christ the same way we received Christ. Now think about that. How did you receive Christ? How did you receive Christ? You received Christ by grace through faith. You didn't receive Christ by working your best or climbing the ladder or being good. You didn't receive Christ by giving your best effort or trying your hardest. You receive Christ by trusting in Jesus and his finished work upon the cross. And Colossians says this, as you've received Christ in the same way, that's how you're to walk in him. So how do you honor God? How do you walk with Christ? How do you live for Jesus? Is it by doing your best? Is it by putting forth the effort? Is it by growing in relationship and trying your best each and every day in your own strength or in your own ability? There's the key. It's not your strength or your ability. It's not your morality. It's not your goodness. It's not you trying your best to live for Christ. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He empowers you through the Spirit of God and enables you through the Spirit of God to walk with Him each and every day. So in the same way you receive Christ, you now walk in Him. The Christian journey is a lifelong process, and if you do it on your own, you're going to tire out before the end. You need to allow Christ to fill you and to use you for His glory and for His honor Live in the power of the Spirit of God. So as you have received Christ, now you walk in Him. Those who have a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ want to honor the Lord Jesus and act in a way that brings Him glory. You know, when, uh, when I was growing up, my dad made it very clear that my actions as his son reflected on him as a father, on my family, And on the Purdue name, what I did reflected either positively or negatively upon my family. And today, as a father of five, I think I'm beginning to understand what he meant. I make it clear to my children that we are Purdue's, that we live and act in a certain way. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because of who we are And who we belong to. As followers of Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into his family. We are his children. And what we do, how we live, reflects either positively or negatively on our heavenly father. So we must, as children of God, walk with him and seek to honor him. Let me just say it like this. If you don't have a desire to know God better, if you don't have a desire to live for Jesus... If you don't have a desire to pray, if you don't have a desire to know him more, then you need to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. You need to examine your heart. 
and see if you actually have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let me say it. If you have no desire to read your Bible, no desire to pray, no desire to live for Jesus, no desire to come to church, no desire to share Christ, then you need to think long and hard about whether or not you're actually a part of the family of God. The Bible says that you ought to examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Your life as a part of God will begin to show fruit in the way you live, the things you do, the things you say, and the desires that you have. There's no way that you can depend on some decision that you made or a prayer that you prayed decades ago if it's never had an impact in your life. If you've never been transformed, if you've never been changed on the authority of the word of God, you've never met Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you will want to act in a way that brings him honor and glory. Now, will you be perfect? Absolutely not. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. There's only a perfect Savior. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us. He's adopted us into his family. As a result, I want to do my best to honor the family name. I want to do my best to bring him glory. So what does it mean to be connected with Christ? It means first, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Second, it means you seek to act in a way that honors God. Number three, you are anchored and rooted in your faith. You are anchored and rooted in your faith. I love this phrase here. The Bible describes it just like this. You are rooted and built up in him and established in your faith. Now, Paul moves from one metaphor to another. He used the metaphor of walking The way we walk shows our direction, our attitude, our desires. So as you walk in your relationship with God, it shows your direction, your attitude, your desires. But Paul moves from the metaphor of walking to the metaphor of a building or a structure. And listen to what he says. You are rooted, you're built up, and you're established. I love this. You are rooted. You have the the proper foundation. You are anchored. You have that, that proper depth in your relationship with God, then you are built up upon that foundation. You are anchored solidly in your faith. Then you are built up and established in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you are rooted, then you can be built up and then you can be established. You see, if you don't have the right root, you won't have the right fruit. If you don't have the right foundation, you won't follow Christ right. So this is the product. We're anchored, we're rooted, deeply firm foundation in our faith. And if we're serious about this relationship with God, we are walking with him. The Bible describes it like this. I love this, Psalm chapter one. The righteous man will be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water. Get the picture. The tree that's firm and strong with its roots going down deep into the rivers of water. That's a righteous man, strong, and firm. So let me see if I can say it like this. Does your Christian life seem more like a roller coaster and less like a journey? Does your Christian life exhibit itself as a series of ups and downs and ups and downs? You're, you're up when circumstances are up. You're down when circumstances are down. You're happy when circumstances are good. You're sad when circumstances are bad. You're faithful to church one minute, and then you're not the next. You're walking with the Lord one minute, and then you're not the next. You're in the Word one day, and you're not the next. You're spending time in prayer when a crisis comes your way, and then when everything's all better, you leave your prayer closet. Friend, I want you to know that is not the way that God intends you to live the Christian life. 
The Bible describes a Christian right here as anchored and rooted, firmly established and built up in the faith. The Bible says in Psalm 1 that a Christian is one who's rooted firmly by the rivers of water. The Bible says in James that a faithful Christian is one that doesn't waver to and fro with the winds and the waves back and forth, back and forth. The Bible says that a follower of Jesus is on a journey, on a path, walking with the Lord. You spend time on that spiritual roller coaster, it won't take long before you get sick. I want to encourage you. God never intended you to waver so much in your faith. His desire is for you to be firmly established and rooted and built up. How? How can you live that kind of Christian life? Not the up and down, in and out, back and forth, but the steady, solid, consistent, faithful, deep, profound Christian life. Well, the Bible says it begins by spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer. Get on your knees before the Lord. Hey, get in a Sunday school class. Participate. Be faithful to church. Don't lay out of church. I'm amazed at the people who think they can grow in Jesus, obey him and follow him outside the local context of the New Testament church. Blows my mind. Adrian Rogers said, Jesus and the church are not identical, but Jesus and the church are inseparable. Jesus and the church are not identical. But Jesus and the church are inseparable. You've got to grow in relationship and context of community with other believers. Ultimately, it all comes back to that foundation. You'll never grow in Christ if you don't have that foundation of faith. You'll never grow in your relationship with the Lord apart from a strong, vibrant relationship each and every day with Christ, knowing He's your Lord and Savior. Number four, as I'm connected with Christ... As you connect with Christ, you appreciate the goodness and blessing of God. I love this. Don't miss a simple phrase here in verse 7. Look at what he says. So we're rooted, we're established, strong, firm foundation. I love these two words. There at the end, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. In other words, your Christian journey should be marked by gratitude to God. You should ever live with an attitude of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, an air of appreciation about you. Listen, believer in Jesus Christ, he saved you, he redeemed you, he adopted you, he justified you, he welcomed you into his family. What in the world do you have to be upset about? He has made you his by grace. We've got something to be happy about. Don't you dare live this life with a critical, ungrateful spirit. Don't walk in these doors on Sunday with your arms folded and forehead crinkled and lips pursed like you've been sucking on lemon for six weeks. Don't come into the house of God with a critical spirit. You know, some people think that the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude. I'm going to... You want to know what the opposite of being grateful is? Being critical. The opposite of being grateful is being critical. Because critical people can't find anything that's good. They can't find anything to be thankful for. So don't dare walk into church with your arms folded and your forehead crinkled, looking up at the heavens and saying, God, I dare you to bless me today. I don't think you can do it. Don't criticize everything that's done or examine every song or every word from the preacher or everything that somebody does. And Lord, help if somebody sits in your seat. 
We've got something to be grateful for. We've got something to be thankful for. Paul says here, a believer in Jesus Christ ought to live with thanksgiving. I'm going to let you in a little secret. We're not, we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship Jesus. So it's not about my preferences or my desires, my little wants and wishes. It's not about a style of worship or a style of music. It's not about drums or no drums. It's not about suit and tie or no suit and tie. It's not about where, whether I wear my hair this way or that way. It's not about whether I wear a dress or pants. You know what it is? It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen? It's all about him. It's all about him. And if I get my life right with him, gratitude begins to flow and you don't hear negativity and criticism. You know what you hear? Joy. This is a day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Come into his presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. He didn't say madness. He said gladness. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who made us and we are his. He is worthy. Number five. Before I get to number five, let me say this. I know what you're thinking. Somebody said something to the preacher and he's mad. I don't preach like that. But I know how dangerous a critical spirit can be to the life of a church. And as God blesses us as he is blessing us, The enemy will find any way he can to get a foothold that becomes a stronghold to tear down the work of God. Nobody said anything to me. Nobody got me crossways this morning. I don't preach like that. I'm just telling you, we have so much to be grateful for. Number five. As you're connecting with Christ, you are aware of the dangers and evil around you. Don't miss verse 8 now. And I wish we could keep going to verse 9, such a powerful verse. But don't miss verse 8. Look at what he says. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul is describing what it means to be a child of God, firmly rooted, connected, strong in your relationship with Christ. He's describing what it means to walk with him, live for him, love him, and serve him. He's describing what a strong believer in the Lord looks like. It is someone who is aware of the evil and the dangers that are around you. See, as you focus on the Lord, you begin to become aware of all of the other things around you that will trip you up as you walk with Christ. After you've received Christ, you grow deep, firmly rooted and grounded in the faith. Then you're aware of those things that might trip you up. The author of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know what he's talking about? All those things that trip us up. When God is moving in a church like he's moving in our church, the enemy will find any way he can to come into our ranks and to do his best to destroy what God's doing. We need to be aware. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Watch. The Bible says here, be careful. 
Don't let someone come in and cheat you. Don't let someone come in and deceive you by a vain philosophy or a vain teaching. Stand firm on the Word of God. Deception can be so dangerous. I heard a story about a a guy who went to the doctor one day. The guy just came for his regular checkup. The doctor did all the traditional things that doctors do. Took his temperature, his blood pressure, all of his vital signs, looked in his ears, looked in his mouth. All the regular checkup things. And then just before the man was about to leave, the doctor opened the door and brought in a little cat. A little cat. The cat sniffed the guy, he rubbed up against the guy, he jumped in the guy's lap, and then the cat left. A little while later, the man got a bill in the mail, and the bill was for $200. The guy said, you've got to be kidding me. He called the doctor's office and said, what in the world is this? $200. He said, yeah, $50 for me checking you, and the other, 50, the other $150 is for the cat scan. You can thank me later. <laughs> deception, deception can be very costly, really. You know that. Deception can cost you your joy. Deception can cost you relationships. Deception can cost the church its effectiveness and fruitfulness. We, as the body of Christ, must be Firmly rooted, built up, established in our faith, and aware of the dangers that surround us. Don't you think the enemy would absolutely love it to destroy the witness and influence of Second Baptist Church? Do you believe the minions of hell would rejoice? Let me say as pastor and we say as people, it will not be so. We as the people of God, will be firmly rooted, established, following Christ, loving Him, serving Him, living for Him, a witness in our community, in our nation, and around the world. Know the Word. Spend time in the Word. Get on your knees. you got to know what your carpet smells like. Get before Jesus in prayer. And pray that we, as the body of Christ, will continue to advance for the sake of His gospel and His great name. We pray that God has blessed you as you have listened to this message. If you would like more information about Second Baptist Church, contact us at area code 478-923-7101. You can find us on the web at www.sbcwr.org. Our address is Second Baptist Church, 2504 Moody Road, Warner Robins, Georgia, 310 Thank you, and may God richly bless you.